Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast, based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon, and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors, Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together, aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice and real world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoyed this, please like it, subscribe or share it with your network. This episode, we're joined by Kyum Kim. He's the co-founder of one of Storm's portfolio companies, Blind, an anonymous professional networking platform, which is already having a really positive impact on company culture. He's the head of U.S. operations and launched the app in the U.S. after its successful launch in Korea. Kyum, thanks very much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, as is tradition, I am going to hand over questions uh, immediately to Tehi and Bob. Well, Kyum, as uh, Helen said, thank you very much for joining um, the show. First, so that the audience could get to know you a little bit better. How and why did you co-found Blong? I'm from South Korea. I did go to school in the East Coast when I was in middle school. So that's why I speak English. But um, I grew up most of my life in Korea. And my first job while I was in college was uh, at a company called Timon, which was an e-commerce company that grew from 10 employees to 1,000 within two years. So I experienced that crazy growth um, within that company. And that's where I met the CEO, Moon. Um, He's the CEO of Blind currently. Moon has been a product guy for over 20 years. Uh, One of the companies that he founded was called Wingbus, and it was one of the first uh, TripAdvisor-like companies in the world. And then he sold that company to a company called Naver, which is the biggest tech company in Korea. That's when kind of the story of Blind comes in, because at Naver, the company provided an anonymous channel for the employees to chat. And it was a company-sponsored channel, surprisingly. And uh, he thought the discussions happening there were very, very interesting. And um, at some point, one of the discussions kind of became disturbing to the company. So the the company decided to shut that down. Having that memory, he moved to um, the team on the the company that I was working at. And and interestingly, um, one of the first things that he did as director of product at team on was getting rid of the email thread where any employee could send out emails to everyone else. And he did that because he wanted to mitigate risks for the company. And I remember this one moment where when we were having a drink with each other and I told him, hey, like we used to be this company where everyone would talk freely to each other and you got rid of it. What's going on? And um, his answer was, hey, as a job, as a senior um, uh, with more experience, like it's my job to mitigate those risks for the company. I think that was a very interesting discussion to have because I really missed the culture that we had when the company was really small at Timon. And um, as the company got bigger, um, those kind of conversations just got disconnected because of the hierarchies and the silos between teams. Um, Fast forward to 2013, um, we saw this great opportunity to solve that problem, which was the smartphones. So people started using iPhones, they started using Galaxy, and more than 80% of the Korean people had smartphones back in 2013. So we thought, hey, like, what if we 
made a, um, an anonymous channel for each company on a personal device, then the companies won't be able to shut it down. So that's where we got the idea uh, for Blind because we knew people at these companies wanted it through the experience um, that Moon had at Neighbor. So naturally we launched the app first for the Neighbor employees. And for a month, we just focused on one company, making them sign up with their work email and giving them a channel to discuss whatever work matters or whatever they want to talk about with their coworkers. And after a month, um, we were able to bring on about 30% of the company. And then the next company naturally was Timon, where I knew about 500 people within the company. And in two weeks, we were able to um, sign up 80% of the whole company. Um, and after that, uh, we just started launching like different companies one by one. So then continuing on, Kim, with uh, uh, Blind and the, the journey, um, could you describe for the audience some of the, the impact Blind has on, you know, whether it's in Korea or in the United States? Yeah. So what, what Blind is essentially trying to do is we're trying to give people the freedom to talk about work. And um, we do it by providing anonymous channels for employees to talk about their company um, with their coworkers and with people outside of their company. One of the most noticeable events that happened on Vine was um, at Korean Air, um, the VP of the company and also the owner of the company was uh, on a plane in, in um, JFK and she got mad over um, something that the flight attendant did. So she decided to return the flight on the runway. What she got mad over was how the peanuts were served to us. Yeah, while she was yeah, being yeah you know the story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was called a nut incident, nut, nut rage incident. And um, uh, then what happened was it's actually illegal to return flights on a runway. I don't know if she knew or not, but we later found out that those are one of the stories that used to happen over and over again. Those like illegal um, corrupt practices within the company because this family has been running this company and owning this company for decades. But what happened on Blind was one of the flight attendants wrote about that story and that got out on the press. And after it got out on the press, people started investigating into the company more and more and they found a lot of corruption. And that's how the investigation started about the family. And now Korean Air has a, Korean Air has a very different culture because now the, the owner family understands that there are people watching and it there's a platform to talk about. So I think that's one of the biggest incidents that happened um, on Blind that became kind of a nationwide scandal um, in Korea. And maybe you can also talk about here in the United States how Elon Musk tried to ban Blind. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not sure it was uh, Elon Musk himself, um, but um, there were a couple of companies, including um, Uber and Tesla, um, uh, blocking our verification emails. And... That's kind of a natural reaction to um, blind for companies. Uh, when I talk to people who work in these companies, what they say is at first people are very terrified of blind because it's not something that the company can control. Um, and I think one of the noticeable like discussions um, that happened on blind was about um, Travis Kalanick back in uh, a few years ago when um, there was a sexual harassment scandal Uber employees were spending more than four hours per day on average. Four hours a day on blind. Yes. yes. 
Yes. And last year, when you know people, uh, when companies were having a lot of layoffs,、uh, people were spending a lot of time on blind because when the uncertainty、uh, within the company goes up, that's when people need more information. So naturally, people came to blind to talk about when it's going to happen, how is it going to happen, what should I do if I get laid off,、um, and then you know people started helping each other out.、Um, if you lost a job, I'll give you a referral and so forth. So、um, yeah, those are kind of the discussions that、um, happen on blind. Well, let's shift、uh, the topic to uh, uh, you know your journey here in the United States, and、uh, you know as co-founder of Blind,、uh, you know you mentioned you were the first person from Blind to the United States, and、uh, if you could just describe what it was like in the the beginning. Personally, I've always wanted to work abroad because、um, I spoke English, and I thought I was really good at English, and、um, uh, I've always had this. Desire to try something different,、um, so I was looking for an opportunity to、um, go abroad、um, at any point. And when I started at Blind,、um, we wanted to expand to other countries because we knew about the Korean market and we've done business in the Korean market, and we knew how difficult it was、um, for a platform that targets a niche audience to scale、uh, much further. And、uh, in Korea, there are only like three markets that actually make sense for you to expand into to scale your market size. And because Korea is already like an economy that's number ten, eleven in the world, and one is China, one is Japan, and one is the U.S. And so what we decided to do is, hey, let's expand into Japan and the U.S. The only reason being the, there was a Japanese-speaking founder and there was an English-speaking founder. So、um, they sent me to the U.S., and that's how we started the expansion. So, what was it like as you first showed up here? Like, what were you trying to do? What were your goals? So, we we just wanted to replicate the success that we had in the in Korea.、Um, the difference was that we I didn't have any friends in the U.S. while we had a bunch of friends in Korea. So naturally, we started thinking about how do we make friends then? Like, what's the best way to make friends? Um, our, our first、um, challenge was to reach people. So I started reaching out to people who went to school in the U.S., like people who had mutual friends in these tech companies,、um, and we used apps like、uh, like dating apps to meet people. <laughs> Whatever they their profiles showed that they work at Facebook or Amazon, I swiped right. And、um, there were a lot of lot of like、uh, networking apps out there who where I, I just was desperate to meet any person who works at a tech company in the U.S. And、uh, once we had the network,、um, what we did was、uh, when we launched in Seattle for Amazon employees, we rented out the best apartment、um, near the Amazon campus, and we、uh, invited Amazon employees over every week and just threw parties. And、uh, we served Korean food and soju to、um, Korean Americans and Korean people、um, at Amazon, and they loved it because、um, Amazon is very frugal. They don't really give you any food. They don't really any,、um, give you any、uh, like a budget for like fancy happy hours. But we were kind of our apartment was kind of the go-to place for Korean people and Korean American people to kind of party, and they became our first advocates and friends and also our users、uh, for Blind. And now, how many Amazon users are on Blind? We have about eighty-three thousand people、um, at、wow. Amazon signed up. <laughs> <laughs> so it all started from、uh, some parties. Yeah, I mean, Kim. What I find fascinating is is that when you enter the U.S., 
for business, you know, the only thing you had was uh, you could speak English. You know, there was no network, you know, no experience, work experience. Anything was really relevant in the United States. In addition to these parties, what other techniques or things did you find that worked very well for you in building up, uh, you know, your U.S. business? Oh, one of the other things that we did was we were always looking for channels to reach company employees. And one great channel was Facebook, because back then they uh, allowed people to target people by their employer. I think that is no longer available. One of the more interesting thing, things that we did when uh, was uh, when I visited the Microsoft office um, with my my colleague, um, we found out there's a parking lot that anyone can drive into um, 24 hours a day, and and there's no security. Um, and we saw a lot of Microsoft employees just parking their cars, going up the elevator, and back and forth. So. We thought, hey, this is like a perfect channel where we can advertise blind. So we made a poster that said um, uh, Microsoft only. And we made it seem like it was Microsoft sponsored. And we had a really small subtext at the bottom saying, this is not affiliated with Microsoft. <laughs> and um, we put, up, put those posters in the elevators, all the elevators in that parking lot, including like other buildings as well. Um, the day, day after when we woke up, we had like five times more users signing up from Microsoft. And um, rumor is that uh, the posters didn't get taken off for almost six months. Was there stuff you tried that didn't work? Of course. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of things that didn't work. So we wanted, after seeing like posters working at Microsoft, we wanted to do the same at Amazon. So we were trying to sneak into the Amazon office, but they had much, you know, much more security. So... <laughs> That was kind of hard. So we ended up just putting up posters on um, the, the, the poles near the offices, but that wasn't as effective. We wanted to target like Silicon Valley, like Facebook, Google employees who are commuting through their commute buses. So we researched about um, these, these stations where these buses stops, like bus stops. And we made a bunch of fortune cookies that when you crack it, it you know, had some um, content on blind that they will be interested in and like a QR code where they can install blind. So Kim, this, we've been talking on uh, how you built uh, the user base here in uh, the United States. Uh, maybe we could talk about the other side and that is how you, um, your venture in building the, uh, the business with HR, which is like a, a B2B business in a way. Um, starting about two years ago, we started looking into opportunities in monetizing um, through enterprises. Uh, we're working on two business models. One is talent acquisition through through Blind, and another is employee and uh, job market analytics through Blind. Again, when I was uh, tapping into this market, I didn't know anyone who works in HR. I didn't know anyone who has done these enterprise products because we're we're a B two C company. That's when Storm Ventures was really helpful because you know you guys introduced us to a lot of um, different HR leaders and you know investors and and people who could give us advice. So my approach was, you know, utilizing our first network to snowball into making the network just bigger. Um, I think it has worked pretty, pretty well. Um, we have about 15 advisors right now that we onboarded over the last year or so. And they really helped us kind of understand the market, like design the go-to-market and, and the product. And we're still working on it, but th that's the biggest pro progress that we had over the last year. Yeah. 
And I think, um, you know, within all these sort of customer interactions, uh, uh, several of them became your teaching customers that actually helped you um, build the product and now have uh, uh, adopted it as in their beta and other programs. We have like a big brand now um, within the HR, HR industry. So it, at least in the Silicon Valley, I think if you work in HR, they all know about us at least because um, a lot of employees at their companies are using it. Um, so it was rather easier for us to go into the market and um, um, have a discussion with these people. How did you do that? Like just cold call them? You just like, how'd you, how'd you get in and talk to these HR leaders about the blind offer for them? When we were reaching out to these people, um, we created this data sheet of their employees. We have this much people in your company. You know, th- these are kind of the analyzed topics that mm. you know, your employees are talking about. And um, interesting. So your opening yeah. gambit with them was, hey, we know a lot about your company already. Uh, yes. And and one of our uh, advisors actually used to work at Dropbox as um, uh, one of the first salespeople. And that's the exact same strategy that they used. They, they said, hey, you know, we have 1,000 accounts created with your company domain account. And there's a thousand terabytes of data being transferred every day. You know, do you want to talk to us? Of course. So that was kind of our approach as well. Did you try anything else that didn't work? There are so much things that didn't work, especially when we're talking to like people analytics teams. I think one of the things that I feel like I could have done better is I kind of came in with a conclusion already that we're going to make this. Um, but after hearing their feedback, I, I think um, it changed my mind a lot, you know, and and uh, understanding that customers was something that um, I could have done a better job um, at first. But as I interviewed, I think I got better. So what did you decide to narrow on? Like you had to kind of find the hot spot inside these customers with HR. Like what was what were the one or two hot spots you found that you decided to focus on from a product perspective? Find a two-sided community. One's a, like a private company channel. Um, and it's more related to like, I want to understand my employees. And there's a public channel where I want to understand like our uh, prospective employees, like future employees. And for companies, um, they're both interesting. So we came in with both. But I think um, now we're narrowing down on like, I want to understand my employees first. Kim, what you mentioned about uh, uh, you know getting the cust- learning from the customer is very interesting. How many customers did you have to meet? Do you think before you felt like you really started to understand the customers? I think I talked to at least uh, fifty different um, HR. 50. Yeah, five zero. But but that it's around that number. In other words, it's not like after just meeting one or two or five, but it really was a, a meaningful number. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people talk about like when you're designing go-to-market and product market fit, you know, you got to um, build data about the customers and patternize it and find the patterns and then, you know, pull out insights that way instead of just talking to one or two people. Kim, can I ask, like uh, getting feedback from your customers, did you have to adapt, you know, what your original idea was to suit more what the customers actually wanted? Yeah, I mean... Um, in the first few months, and um, to some extent still, our discussions are very, um, it's, it's, it's very, very visionary, I would say. So we, we pitched things that we didn't even make. And then, you know, we uh, heard about their answers and their responses. And then that, that became kind of the data. 
So I don't think we changed anything internally. We were like just trying to answer some questions that we had about the market. So Kim, as you've been working with these early customers and pitching stuff that you didn't actually have to see if they liked it or not, once you started to get some success, like what what are the things that you started to feel like, hey, these are the things we can do to make successful? How do you make these people you're talking to sort of a hero inside their company? Like, you know, let's talk about sort of where you decided to go and how you're going to help make the customers the hero. Yeah, the first time I heard about the hero concept was from Tay. Like, you gotta you gotta make them heroes. And I I think I understand a little bit better now. Um, this is this is the interesting part. So when HR first meets blind, everyone's terrified because it's something that they they've never seen before. It's something that they can't control. And then smart people start competing with blind. So they their goal is to now find out things before blind finds out. <laughs> okay. And yeah, and what happens after that is they realize that oh, this is going to exist anyways, and it's it's impossible to bring up these discussions by asking questions as a company, because if you imagine a company going up to an employee and say, hey, what do you think about me? You know, they're not going to be honest. And there are two reasons. Two reasons because of that one is like you know companies have more power over the employees, so there's a power imbalance. And also, um, it's about like who you're talking to. When employees are talking to employees, they're more honest. When they're talking to companies, they're not. Um, and they realize that blind is a place where you can kind of sneak into employee to employee discussions. So when HR um, professionals um, get to that point, they start thinking of us as a resource, and they become this um, a visionary person within the organization who. Um, who we can have conversations around, how do we help you? How do we help you successful, be successful at your job in understanding employees? And I think that's when the conversation really starts to take off. That's fascinating. So they first try and kill you, then they try and replicate you, yeah. and then they decide to use you. Yeah, exactly. All right. That's fascinating, actually. Then uh, um, I'm curious, Kim, as you know, you're working with HR and as you mentioned, you know, becoming a resource to HR at the same time, how do you remain true to the employees? You know, I, I know at one point like Korean Airlines tried to hack blind to figure out, you know, who was the, the source of all this information uh, and they were unable to do it. But I mean, how, how, how do you maintain this balance? Our core audience is our, our biggest asset. And if we lose trust from our um, users who are the employees, um, we're not going to exist. And everyone within the company understands that. Um, and that's why we built, when we first built the company, we have this patent algorithm that is useless to anyone else, um, which lets us verify the work email separate from the user account. So it disables even the admins of the company to find out the user identity. So, so Kim, that's an important point. Blind doesn't even know who the identity is, is what you're saying. Yes, we don't know who you are, even if you sign up with your work email. And for the companies, I think we can bring them more value if we stick to our core values. Because if we build trust with our users, they communicate more within the platform, they, um, they bring out more honest voices and discussions, I think that's actually going to help us aggregate those voices and um, send them to the companies to see, to make their companies better. 
But if we start compromising trust from the users, they're going to talk less, which is going to um, disadvantage everyone. So um, I think it's more of like sticking to the values that we originally had in order for to um, uh, maintain the trust and think value-driven development and um, also long-term um, development of the product itself. And thinking of business models as an opportunity um, that derives from the core use cases. Well, maybe uh, to sum up here, Kim, um, any particular words of advice you have for other Korean founders who want to enter the, the U.S. market? There are a lot of cons um, of being a startup within a startup because when you, um, uh, when you usually start a new initiative with a company, there's already like a track record of success. Um, and in our case, that was like the Korean market success. And having all the um, product teams in Korea still drove us to um, success. So um, there are practices and decision-making processes in product development that was very Korea heavy, that um, we were very slow to change. And there was a lot of communication costs associated with that. Um, and I think it's related to the advice that I always give to um, the, the startups who want to come to the Silicon Valley or the US from Korea or other countries. Um, I always tell them like, whoever comes to US needs to be CEO or the founder. That is because when you come to the US, you gotta live and breathe the market. You gotta just understand and talk to people to make the right decisions. And if you're not the person who can make the decisions, then that is just not gonna happen. I mean, a lot of Korean startups take it like take this approach. They want to hire someone who speaks English and Korean at the same time, who are like market experts, so-called, and they want to manage them from abroad. When that happens, they usually start conflicts because what they see it, sitting in a Korean office is very different from what this person sees in the U.S. office. And when you're not together, the market insights just doesn't translate. So, okay, so that's a problem. <laughs> like, where are you now and how did you solve that? So I think for the first like three, four years, like me being here was okay um, because I'm the founder and I can make business level decisions. So for example, when we were um, starting off our enterprise businesses, um, it was really hard to convince Korea team to invest in um, enterprise products that the US market wanted. Okay. So I had to, yeah, I had to find out things that I can do under my control. So I just focused on two things. One is building a network of people who can help us going forward. So that's why we onboarded uh, about 15 advisors within the last year. And we had um, over 50 meetings with HR professionals. And the second was, uh, what products can I actually make without engineering help or product help? That seems like a tough ride uh, or I guess a long walk off a short plank to try and build stuff here locally when you don't have engineering resources in an early stage company. So, so what did you do? I've always thought that CEO has to move here to make, make product decisions um, in the U S and ex what's exciting is that's actually happening um, this year. So yeah. Um, excellent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Kim, on uh, persuading uh, Moon to move to the U S. I think it was a combination of many different things. One is um, I think he now sees an opportunity um, in the HR tech market that we really need to focus on. 
And another is we raised a new round. Um, uh, we, we closed our new round last week of Series C. And uh, we have more, much more financial um, uh, buffer to uh, invest more in the U.S. So he can manage the actual like product engineering team in the U.S. Yeah, I think the urgency was there. Like after this funding, we're a CSC company now. You know, we really need to take off in terms of monetization. And um, we have an IPO, aggressive IPO goal. Uh, we're targeting um, five years from now. So I think that urgency really made him um, make the decision. Well, Kim, really appreciate your coming on board here and uh, sharing your insights and uh, quite a journey, you know, landing in the U.S. with no network, no uh, person that, you know, to and then building it. Um, so to wrap things up, any final words that you'd like to share? My advice to the Korean companies or companies that are coming from abroad is that uh, you really need to be the founder and CEO to come to the market live the market um, to be successful. And another is don't be afraid of sharing like your shares to bring on people who's going to help you. And they don't need to be like famous people. They don't need to be um, celebrities. They just need to be people who have the experience that you don't have. And they're going to give you a lot of insights by sharing um, what you have. And um, I think Korean companies are kind of reluctant to do that to bring on like people from outside who are not employees. But I strongly recommend um, that because that has helped us a lot uh, uh, make the progress that we have right now. Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrival podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders if there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them. Subscribe or leave a review. That's how others find us.